Welcome to episode 545 with my guest, Sarah Goff. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about everything, our nutty brains, our crazy lives, the shit show around us. The shit show, that's what it it should be reduced to. Uh, a place for honesty about the shit show around us and the shit show inside us. There we go. It only took me ten episodes or ten uh, seasons to to find the perfect way to describe the show. Um, last week I was really struggling mentally, and I am feeling so much better this week. Uh, I was battling some some gastrointestinal stuff, and as uh, a lot of you know, uh, the the brain chemicals that you depend on to feel good, like serotonin, they're produced in your gut. So when your gut is out of whack, it can really, really fuck with your head. And so I drank a lot of kefir, took some probiotics, and uh, I'm feeling about a hundred times better. And thank you, uh, those of you that sent me uh, words of encouragement. Let us dive into couple of surveys before we get to the episode with Sarah. This is from the Fears Survey, and Sin writes, I fear not ever having a good day ever again. Depression has taken me down recently, and it hurts to think I'll never get out of this hole. I, as you can imagine, identify with that, and I always say the two things are so important when you're struggling mentally is patience with the process and kindness to yourself. Um, because the the one thing that never changes is that things change. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Bredick. And she asked, how did you, quote, break up with your mom? I mean, what was the process like? What kind of grief undulations did you have to weather? And how did you cope? I'm 43 in April, April, and I don't know if I can continue to have a relationship with my mom. There's a lot of history that I don't need to go into here, but I can say that I finally told her about how I felt about growing up in the toxic environment I shared with her and my stepdad, and she didn't take it well. She's a good person who made bad choices, needs professional mental health, and more. Unfortunately, she's irrational and under so much stress, most of which she has chosen to put upon herself, that I don't think she's able to digest mentally and emotionally what I've said to her. This is the second time in my life she stopped speaking with me. It's strange. I feel like I'm grieving, but I don't know what. The relationship, because it's over, the mom I wanted her to be, and I don't know how I'd react if she called me tomorrow and said, hi, can we talk? I don't know what I want at all. Yeah, if you have any advice or simple feedback, anything would be appreciated. Uh, thank you for that question, and thank you for reaching out. And what you described is almost everything that I went through emotionally when I cut contact with my mom about nine years ago. And it was a gradual process of me setting boundaries. Uh, and then when she would cross a boundary, uh, you know, giving her consequences like, you know, not responding, cutting contact for a while. And after enough of these, these boundary crossings, um, I, I wrote her a letter and said, uh, I can't continue this relationship anymore. It's too, it is too difficult for me mentally. 
Um, it's draining. I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. Um, I love you, and I'm grateful for many of the things that you gave me, uh, raising me. But I have to do this. Um, my mom isn't a bad person, uh, but she, in my opinion, is a sick person. And whether she's incapable or chooses not to change and accept responsibility for her actions, I don't know. I will never know. I wish I could know why she did some of the things she did, why she was sexually creepy with me growing up. Um, it's... it's uh, it's sad, and there was a lot of grief, and I think there's still some grief there, but it got easier day by day uh, over the, over these last 10 years. It is not something that I've ever seen anybody get over quickly, so I hope you help uh, that helps you with that, and I think one of the most important things when you're considering pausing or ending a relationship with somebody is to really focus on what your emotional needs are. And there's probably, if you're codependent at all, there's going to be a, a voice in your brain that tells you you're selfish and you need to suck it up and try harder and et cetera, et cetera. And that is uh, oftentimes, if you were raised by a narcissist, the voice of the narcissist who groomed you emotionally to put their feelings and their emotional needs ahead of yours, whether they did it consciously or not. You know, because ending a relationship with somebody or giving them consequences is not about punishing them. It's about you finally taking care of your own emotional needs so you can stop punishing yourself. This is from the Love Survey, filled out by Mrs. Twit. And she writes, I love illegal fireworks. I know I shouldn't, but I'm thrilled when my neighbors test out their huge fireworks on the days leading up to the 4th of July and then completely let loose on that night. Last year, we just put our chairs in the front yard and watched all around us as the sky exploded in color and sound. It was a 360-degree show, every block, in every direction. It was magical. I love the sound. I love feeling the force of the sound in my chest. I feel bad loving it. I know the explosions bother pets and people living with PTSD. I'm really sorry about how they are affected by it, but I find it so peaceful, like I'm being held by the sound, like the pressure of the air molecules being compressed around me is helping me to stay upright. It's not about America or liberty or anything associated with the holiday. I could watch it every weekend. Thank you for that one. I love when I get a uh, a loves from you guys that is uh, one that I've never read before. And in, in some way, I think I can kind of relate to it, but definitely not about the neighbors uh, setting their shit off early. That, that bugs the fuck out of me. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Mia. And she writes, do you ever think about whether you might have liked to become a mental, mental health care professional or some of some kind, if things had worked out differently for you job-wise. You're always so appreciative towards doctors, therapists, and social workers, and I can recall more than one guest commenting that they thought you'd make a good therapist. It made me wonder if you've ever considered it as a vocation. Uh, I did consider that about uh, two or three summers ago. I actually applied uh, to... Uh, get my master's in uh, uh, 
to become a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. And uh, I went to the, or- and I got accepted to uh, Antioch University uh, here in Los Angeles. And it was so weird sending my college transcript somewhere. I hadn't thought about that in, God, decades. Uh, and I did get accepted, and then I went to the orientation, and it suddenly hit me, you are in over your head in terms of how much battery energy you have to deal with mental health stuff. You know, you go to hours of support group meetings every week. You're on the phone with people uh, from those support groups. You do the the podcast and it's going to be too much. And so I, I backed out. And um, again, my hat goes off to those of you that are in the trenches. You know, and, and the other thing was I realized I would probably lose the ability to make the fucked up jokes that I make because I would feel more responsibility as a mental health care professional. Um, so thank you for that, uh, that question. We are sponsored this week, as always, by BetterHelp.com online therapy. Uh, You can do it a variety of different ways. You can do video, you can do audio only, you can uh, communicate with your therapist via live chat or texting. You can check in with them during the week depending on their schedule and your schedule. And I'm just a big fan, big fan of uh, betterhelp.com. So if you're interested in checking it out, go to betterhelp.com dot com slash mental make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from the podcast and then just fill out a questionnaire and if they feel like they have a counselor who's good fit for you they will pair you up with one and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it's your thing and you need to be over 18 and then finally this is from the love survey filled out by it's just me and they write i love everything about coffee when i walk down the stairs in the morning i love the smell of the freshly brewed pot my husband has made. I love cradling my first cup in my hands while the smell and the taste fill my senses. I love strong black coffee, and if there was no one to judge me, I would drink it all day. <laughs> it's so funny. I never, I've never heard of anyone judging someone for, for how much coffee they drink. I love coffee shops, the ambience, the smells, the feeling of doing my own thing, but also in the company of others at a distance because I have severe social anxiety. I, too, uh, love that feeling of being around the flow of life, but also <laughs> distanced from it. I love visiting state parks. I love the smell of the forest. I love experiencing the life, death, and colorful beauty that comes with all four seasons. I love the joy in my dog's faces as they navigate the trails and pick which way to go when we come to a fork. I love how they then curl up and snooze on the way home. And I love how tired and fulfilled my body feels at the end of the day. I love how on murder shows the victim always, quote, lit up a room when he or she walked in. They were always beautiful, so generous, and a bright light in everyone else's darkness. I feel safe because these are far from being descriptions of me. I walk in a room and immediately make it awkward. I am dark and sad and people don't really enjoy being around me. If you go by these shows, I have a 0% chance of getting murdered. 
I just wanted to get the fuck away from my life. You know, I, I couldn't have felt any lower. Grief, guilt, shame. Why wasn't I born a girl? There's a switch that gets flipped in my head. I'm supposed to be a girl. I experience being treated like an animal. How can a just God... I have a vomit fetish. Let humans do this to each other. Help! I fucking flew over the cuckoo's nest. My wife's losing it. I thought it was all about me. I don't know what to do. I would have committed suicide if I could have watched my funeral. A Polaroid I found of my mother um, naked in a dentist chair. And my body doesn't quite... I think I did eight days in L.A. County Jail. ...fit how I see myself. What was it all for? Why are my friends dead? Everything that I did, there's a comfort in the scars for me, was in service of OCD. You've already had all the paper cuts. Step away from the paper. It's really hard to see the picture when you're inside the frame. You know, it takes a larger view to see your life. Just actually have somebody listen to you. Yeah. And I got up and got my tooth and left. <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm here with Sarah Goff, who I've known for, what, maybe five, Probably. eight years. Yeah. Um, Sarah is a server at my uh, favorite restaurant, and so we see you... Every week. Every week, at <laughs> least at least once a week, and uh, you're our favorite server. Oh, thanks. Um, you're my favorite guest. Oh. <laughs> and we didn't see you for like six months, mm -hmm. almost a year... And when we did see you again, we were like, have you been gone? Yes. And what did you tell us? I had a near-death experience. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I said, I don't give a shit. Bring me ketchup. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. think that's exactly what yeah. you said. Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, it was, you were very warm about it, actually. Um, and I did bring you the ketchup. <laughs> but, uh, but... And I didn't tell everyone, you know, obviously mm -hmm. guests are asking and you don't want to be like, yeah, I almost died from a really bad bacteria. Good luck. You know. <laughs> Here, let me rub your sandwich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to split that one? Me? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been a ongoing process dealing with my health. I have I have ulcerative colitis, which is ulcers in my intestines. And was that unrelated to the bacteria? That was, but it is, it's related in the way that it made me vulnerable I see. to other infections. And the bacteria, the C. difficile is what it's called. Uh, it made me super vulnerable. So we have no idea how I got it. I could have even gotten it airborne, hmm. which is scary. Uh, but who knows? So my immune system is already really broken down, which makes me, you know, I get every cold that comes by. Uh, but I had already been fighting with the ulcers for a good nine months previous to getting really, really ill and then being in the hospital. The So September was about the time that the C. diff took me and I just started bleeding out uncontrollably. What? Yeah. I was sleeping on the floor of the bathroom and I was sleeping on the couch, trying not to wake my husband so that he could go to work. Um, and it was about six weeks in that I realized I was dying and there was nothing that the doctors were doing that was helping me. I'd been, I'd gone through two doctors. The first doctor was at UCLA and she was great, but I couldn't get into a car for more than five minutes and I needed to go to the bathroom again. Oh my God. So it was, it was super challenging to try and figure out how to get to the doctor, A. And 
she said, you know, if you have anybody up there closer to you that you could go see, go see them. So I did. I went to this older doctor that I had seen for uh, years before who first treated me for my ulcerative colitis. And he just thought that I was dealing with an ulcerative colitis flare. Now, a flare, typically you do have blood and and loose matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... uh so he kept giving me different medications to try, but he I'm allergic to sulfa, any kind of shellfish in the medication. I'm very allergic to shellfish. He kept giving me medications that had sulfa in it. So I was having allergic reactions oh on God. top of being... Good times, oh, huh? it was just a party up in here. And uh, so I first went to the ER under his care for dehydration. And then the second ER visit was for going blind in my left eye, which was terrifying, which is one of my fears of losing my eyesight. Hello. Who doesn't want to keep their I eyesight? Went, I went blind in my left eye for about five or ten minutes uh, about a year or two ago. And so it was you know. so fucking freaky. Yeah. And I still don't know what caused it, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, yeah. that's strange. <laughs> well, hopefully it was just a weird moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was terrifying. I was in a class at the moment. I was like trying to like go on with my life. I had been out of work already for, you know, weeks. And I was trying to like be strong and whatever. Anyways, this doctor had the nerve to sit me down and ask me if we had made a decision if I was a pansy or not. And I went, are you shitting me? No. And I went, excuse me? And he goes, yeah, I mean, did we decide, like, do you just not want to go back to work? And I was just beside myself. (laughs) I just, my jaw just dropped to the floor and I was like, no, actually, I really enjoy my job. I, I love where I work. And I would love to be participating in my life right now. Uh, I'm not bleeding out on purpose. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I want a t-shirt that says I'm not bleeding out on purpose. <laughs> I think I might have to start that. You know, every time I think I've heard a story about a doctor who is a pompous, yeah. cold, yeah. arrogant asshole. Yeah, it gets better. Yeah. Then he says, well... Doesn't your husband work? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, why can't he just support you? And I just looked at him and went, it's 2014. I live in Los Angeles. Do you know how expensive it is to live here? And I am not in the 1950s. Like, it's okay. I can work, dude. I just was so pissed off that I could barely say anything after that. And I get up to walk away. And at that point, my legs had started to go into atrophy. So I was walking funny. And he just goes, Sarah, why are you walking funny? And I go, I don't know. I'm weird. Like at this, I'm a pansy. I'm <laughs> I'm a weak woman. I don't know. I, you know, all these crazy things were coming up for me. And I just, so I left. And then uh, about a week later, when I'm still bleeding out and have, you know, more reactions to the bad medication that he's giving me. I call him from bed. And at this point, I can't even get out of bed. I'm I'm from my bed to the toilet. And it's about nine steps. <laughs> like that's all mm-hmm. I can handle. My husband's just beside himself. We, we don't know what to think of this. And and how was his support for you at that at that point? He was doing everything he could. He was and, and emotionally, working, emotionally, I mean. totally absent. 
bless his soul, totally absent. He couldn't handle it. It was yeah. a very challenging thing yeah. to watch your partner just bleeding out and there's you're, you're helpless. You can't do anything. So he was very frustrated, I think, was the most... Did you feel like you were getting compassion from him or more like yeah. you would, there, there was a reservoir that had been drained? No, that came later. Okay. <laughs> you know, there, he had moments, you know, as I think all of us would if you're dealing with someone who's chronically ill. And I've been, I've been ill for years. So he's been dealing with me being ill for a while. Um, but never as high maintenance yeah, as, this, as yeah. this episode like was. Like to the point of like, I need you to drive me everywhere. I need you to come home from work to take me to the doctor. It was intense on him. Did you ever feel that he felt you were exaggerating? No, he was pretty careful oh, that, about it. That must have been nice to, yeah. to know that because I think a lot of spouses... Oh, I um, agree. Yeah. Can feel that way. I think he, no, he, I think his number one was he was protective. He was concerned, but he is not a big, uh, you know, express my emotions guy. Okay. So I think a lot of his frustrations came out in anger that he totally did not mean to direct towards me, but it's natural to yeah. feel like it's directed towards you. <laughs> Which just had to, it that's sucked. always good for ulcerative colitis. Oh, it's wicked good. <laughs> yeah. It's just Sarah's from New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you tell? Yeah. Um, so I call the doctor from the from bed and I say, I'm, I'm still bleeding out. I'm I'm devastated right now. I don't know what to do. He goes, well... I don't know what to tell you, Sarah. I've given you all the medications I can, and clearly you're not responding to any of them. You're screwed. Excuse me? I don't know what to tell you, Sarah. You're, I, there's nothing else I can do. So I just hung up the phone and sobbed for a little while in bed, naturally, as one would. I, I mean, at this point, what I found out soon... In about another two weeks, I finally found a doctor who saved my life. Um, I had been malnourished for 12 weeks straight by that point. So I was almost down to 100 pounds. I was just skin just hanging off my bones. Um, and But that was one of my moments was in bed that day, sobbing, totally at a loss, thinking this is it i'm just gonna die here this is there's nothing i can do and i just something switched off in me and i went fuck that no i'm not going out like this this is this can't happen um and i just got out of bed and got to the computer and prayed for a miracle. And I just called out to everything that I've ever practiced in my life. Christianity, Buddhism, uh, Indian practices, just everything I could think of. Every yogi person I've ever prayed with, every circle I've been a part of, I just reached out to everyone and said, I need help. I'm in trouble. If you have a good doctor, please send them my way. If you have a shaman, anybody, help. So you mean phone calls as well? Yep. Okay, so you were praying as well as yes. making phone calls. Yeah, okay. I made phone calls, prayed, got on the computer, just Googled. I just started just reaching out. I, 
you have no idea how much that warms my heart because I preach it almost every episode. Just get out of your comfort zone and start asking for help. The Action. universe will meet you halfway. Yeah, that's a terrifying thing to do. It's so hard to get out of our way when we are paralyzed with fear. And I have to do it every day. <laughs> um, it has been so terrifying. <laughs> so <laughs> this was the first moment I was able to really break down the walls and say, okay, help, just help. And it was crazy. The angels landed, Buddha showed up. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody showed up. A shaman came over and worked on me. I mean, people who did Reiki showed up and worked on me. Uh, I had a friend who has a, a, a vitamin supplement. She showed up at my door an hour later. And I'm pretty sure that uh, supplement helped save my life as well because that got some nutrition in me in times mm -hmm. when I couldn't absorb anything. You were just pa it was just passing It was through. passing within an hour. It would pass through my body. It was crazy. Jesus. I could see what I put in my mouth. Would it even stop and say hello on its nope. way through? No. No. That's just rude. Like, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> um, so then I found the doctor uh, over at St. Joseph in Burbank. And it was crazy. I mean, I got in to see him a week later and... On our way, we're driving. Jeremiah is driving me. My husband's driving me to see the doctor, and we get the phone call from the office. Doctor can't see you today. I'm sorry. We have to reschedule for oh, next week. And I was just like, why? Oh. It was just unbelievable. And so that uh, <clears throat> that weekend was when I took a turn for the worse, and I called my mother at like 3 a.m. and just said, "I need you to come out here. I'm 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 in trouble." At that point, I was so malnutritioned. I was disoriented. I couldn't really tell where I was half the time. It was I was not leaving my couch or the bed. Mm. Um, and I was just trying to eat. I was just trying to eat anything I could, you know, and keep it in my body. It was just awful. So finally, I get in to see the doctor. And by that point, my mom was here and my mom and my husband are in the room with me and I just had typed everything out on a piece of paper because my mind was just so shoddy and I had to take so long to explain something. I had to stop and breathe. I mean, oh, man. It, it was really challenging. And so uh, the doctor just kind of looked at me in disbelief, you know, after I told the whole story and all the different medications the doctor tried and how I was just screwed. <laughs> and you know, good luck. And uh, he goes, well, I'd like to admit you into the hospital tonight or tomorrow morning. It's your choice. And I just kind of went, what? Like, really? Okay. And at this point, like, I knew I was dying. I didn't say it to anybody because I didn't want to freak anybody out. But I was just so, like, out there. It's like fasting. You know, if you fast for any length of time, you kind of get a little... Do, 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 do. You know, <laughs> so I was totally out, and uh, we went home. And I just looked at my mom and my husband. And went, "Is this okay? Like, am I supposed to go to the hospital?" And they were like, "Yes, yes." So I was like, "Okay, well, I need till the morning to kind of like get my stuff together." And this whole time, I'm just stressed out about money. 
I'm just like, it's going to be so expensive to be in the hospital. I haven't been working for six weeks already. Like, you know, it was, I was freaked out. I didn't want to be a burden on my household, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So we got into the hospital and only took the doctor about three hours to find the C. difficile. Um, it's the bacteria that they yep, located. And that's the bacteria. Yeah. It typically kills elderly people. Uh, so they're a little freaked out that younger people are starting to get it. Um, but they think that it has something to do with taking too many antibiotics and killing the good bugs. So take those probiotics, people. Oh, my God. I can't. I preach that also. Oh. The, uh, cultured vegetables, uh, kefir. Yes. Sauerkraut uh, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, read the book, um, The Body Ecology Diet. Yes. It, it turned my life around. Yeah. And it can help a lot of people. A lot. Yeah. It's crazy what we don't know about the intestines. The, the Western diet is so acidic and so sweet, yeah. it kills um, and it, it replaces a lot of the good. Um, and I'm, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It replaces a lot of the good bacteria in our gut with yeast and then the yeast craves sugar and it gives off toxins and you can find yourself craving sugar all the time and feeling exhausted and after you eat sugar feeling really bloated and gassy absolutely and it could just Mm -hmm. be candida that you have as well uh which if you don't know what candida is google that because that will open your eyes if you have a white tongue that's the first way to tell if you got it that's what i had yeah Yeah. and uh a lot of Americans have it and have no idea. And most Western doctors don't won't even admit that it's a thing. Yep. Because they can't quantify how much yeast you have in your body. It, 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 and I understand on a certain level that they need some type of scientific basis to be able to say, yes, you have this, sure. but come on. Sure. And it's really sad. It's so, And it's frustrating. I had it for 10 years. Yeah. I would be exhausted walking upstairs and not knowing why. Yeah. You know. And yeah. I'm pretty sure I've been dealing with some of that as well. It's been it's been things stacked up on each other and it's it's going to take me a while to to get the gut into really good balance. Um yeah. but my my diet's super clean. But that's the crazy part. My diet was pretty clean before mm-hmm. this. So it's just years of repair that I that I'm still Yes. Apparently undergoing. So uh, good bacteria. Yes. Eat yes. your, eat your uh, probiotics. You had almost no good stuff in your gut. Right. So it was the C. diff had just taken over, which is just a bad bacteria, but it eats away at your intestines. So it had eaten me down to my nerves in my intestines. Oh, my God. And that's why I was in so much pain. That is the best eaten, though, I have <laughs> to say. That's... <laughs> That's that's like the fillet on the oh, right? on the yeah. on the ribeye. Oh. I don't know. Is there a fillet on a ribeye? I think so. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The, the yeast actually will put their bibs on when it gets <laughs> when it gets down to that part. I'm, I'm I'm grossing myself out. I know. Go ahead. <laughs> so so my my favorite moment with my doctor. This is when we really bonded. Was he was like oh uh bef- right before. Uh, he came in to tell me that it was C. difficile. He needed me to do three enemas. And the nurse comes in and she's trying to poke around. And I just, you know, I'm sorry, but my insides were stripped down to nothing. It must have been so painful. It was, I've never been at that level of pain in my life. And I've been in some serious pain. But wow, 
Uh, yeah. Like, did they need to give you three no, when you were no, shitting no. everything out? <laughs> exactly. No. All, all they probably needed to give you was a cup of water. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. That's what I thought too. And I was just like, well, this is what they say I gotta do. Okay. And I just said, get the fuck out of here. Like she first poked. I go, no, all the fucking do that. Thank you. And I take it from her. And I kicked my husband and the nurse out of the room and said, I'll do this myself. And I just went into the bathroom, threw that robe over my shoulder, knelt down on the floor, stared at a crack in the floor in the bathroom and just talked my way through it and said, okay, you got to do this. You can do this. Just put the pain into this little dot. Just put the pain in there, sir. Just put the pain outside of you. And I just did as fast as I could. I was screaming at the top of my lungs in agony and I'm holding on to the sides of the walls in the bathroom you know Mm -hmm. and the doctor comes running into the room (laughs) and he goes I know why you're in so much pain you have C. diff and I go what the fuck is C. diff (laughs) and meanwhile I'm butt naked holding on to I'm straddling the toilet you know holding on to the sides of the wall in the bathroom And he's standing there and he realizes now that he's what he's looking at, you know, what he walked into. And he goes, okay. He turns around. So his back is to me now. He goes, C. diff is an overgrowth of bad bacteria. And he starts going off and I'm just. Now, is that, did he take a picture and is that now your profile on Facebook? Yes. Yeah. It's really sweet. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm interjecting so many (laughs) poorly poorly timed and half-assed jokes. Um, hey, you know. So he didn't, I was confused. I thought you knew at that point that you had C. diff when they were giving you the enemas. They didn't know No, they at didn't that point. know. Okay. That's, okay. yeah. That's, okay. he probably, he probably wouldn't have gone on and given okay. me those if he knew. Okay. Um. So yeah, that. but then they did have to get me into the sigmoidoscopy, which is like, just like a little ball goes up there and checks you and out. And they put air in oh. and it's incredibly oh. uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And, oh, I don't, I. You know, and I get down to this room and all I hear are the nurses and I just was writhing in pain. You know, I'm just, I mean, just writhing because like you're just trying to move the pain around because yeah. it's just so hard to cope with. And I hear like the nurses going, oh, do, are you taking care of the little girl? Who's taking care of the little girl? And I just hear a little girl and I come to realize I'm the little girl. You're Everybody, making little girl noises. Well, because I looked so young compared to all the other C. difficile patients. All the other C. difficile patients are like senile, old, old, elderly people. (laughs) And here I am, you know, this 30-something, like, but they were thinking I was in my early 20s. Also, I was totally emaciated and looked just younger because I was... Isn't that nice when you're at your physical and emotional worst? worst, People are like, you look awesome. (laughs) You look so great. I'm like, wow, thanks. I guess I should be anorexic. Um... No. So, so it was such a weird, it was such a trippy thing, you know, and you're, and I just like had to pee every five seconds, but I didn't have to pee. It was just my body being swollen and in pain and just trying to like, ah. and, uh, I just remember getting rolled in to get the sigmoidoscopy and I didn't know the doctor that came in and he goes, Oh, are we dealing with C. diff? And I went, yep. And the nurse comes up to me and she goes, this is going to hurt for a minute. I went, please no. And I was out. I was out cold. I was like, please, no pain. You know, please, no more they pain. Put, they put you under? Oh, yeah. They oh, put me thank under. God. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. And then um, I woke up, but I had a another moment that they, they had to wheel me down to do some more 
you know, just more tests and seeing how far things had gone and whatnot and make sure I had no punctures, you know. Mm. And I was, they, you know, they just wheel you into these hallways and then like leave you there and you're in this bed and it's cold and, you know, you're in all this pain and they hadn't started me on the pain medication yet. And I just was doing everything I could not to be like, you fucking motherfuckers, help me, Jesus Christ. I mean, I was just like trying to be civil, you know, and not be an asshole to every nurse that walked by me, you know, and, and so I'm like sitting here and I'm holding onto the bed rails and there's this little uh, <clears throat> bolt in the arm of the bed. And I just started funneling all the pain into this bolt. It was like the one way I could deal, cope with this pain. Mm. And I just was gasping for air. It was, it felt like the toxic, like this poison was coming up <coughs> into my throat mm -hmm. and suffocating me. That's what it felt. It felt like I was going into like the death rattle at this point. I mean, wow. and I just leaned back and I arched my back back to try and get oxygen. And there was one of those mirrors, those arched mirrors on the ceiling for cameras probably was behind mm -hmm. it. I just remember seeing myself wow opening my mouth to this mirror and I just went if you want to take me now I'd be totally cool with that <laughs> <laughs> and it was about 12 hours later that I went into the light and I was in the hospital room um, they hadn't started me on the pain medication yet which I don't know why they didn't. Um, and I was just sucked through this tunnel and went into this really bright, bright white light that gave me an incredible feeling of peace and bliss, like euphoric elation. And I was no longer in my body. I had no pain. I was particles of everything. And everything was me. And it was just beautiful and serene. And I could see in multiple places simultaneously. And the bliss was so amazing. I just started laughing. You know, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And it hadn't really hit me yet. Like, oh, this is the light that I've heard about my whole life. I, it didn't hit me at all. I didn't think of that. I just was in the moment of how amazing and careless and I was out of pain and and I was weightless and then I could see in the hallway and I could see in the parking lot and I could see through the eyes of someone I love all at the same time. And everything made sense. And suddenly I felt connected and God consciousness is the only way I can describe it in our words. Like, I don't feel like human beings have a real language for how to describe this other realm. And I don't know if that's where we reside forever or I don't have any answers really to what I experienced. All I know is what I experienced mm -hmm. and what it felt like. Is it better than Encino? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Even on a good day. Um, and, you know, I just 
saw my whole life like stacked up on itself. I've heard people <clears throat> say it flashed in front of their eyes, but for me it was like my life was in compartments in like drawers and the drawers were pa pa like stacked up on themselves and I knew I had a knowing of all of this at the same time. Wow. Yeah, it was and it wasn't complicated. It wasn't a lot to process. It wasn't hard. It was very clear. It was very clear and precise and all you, made sense. You went to OCD heaven. I totally did. <laughs> <laughs> OCD heaven. I totally did. And um, I then realized that we are all connected. We are all totally connected. There's no separation between you and I and even people on the other side of the world that I don't know. We are all part of this tapestry. We are just threads in this tapestry. And together we create this world and this consciousness. And I sort of felt like, wow, we all made a decision to come into this place to be separate and have individual experiences. Because in that place, I could feel every kind of emotion at the same time. It wasn't hard. It wasn't complicated. It was easy. But in this mind, in this consciousness, I can feel anger and only anger. I can feel anger and happy, but I switch back to anger and happy. But there I could have happy, questionable, sad, bliss, euphoric, all at, in the same instant. Uh, and time was just totally different. I don't know how long I was out. I have no idea. I just know that it it just felt like time just totally stopped. Was there, did you, did the thought ever occur to you, I'm dead or I'm dying? Um, it was after I saw my whole life. The drawers? Yeah, that I went, oh, this is it. And then I started to laugh again. I went, really? This is it? <laughs> You're taking me now? I thought I had so much more to do. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. If you want to take me now, that's totally cool. But wow, I really thought I had so much more to do. And then I went, Jeremiah. I said, my husband. I said, and it, it was strange. It was just a... Uh, it wasn't that I was sad. It wasn't that I was scared. It was no fear. It was just an observation that my husband lost his father a few years back and has it's been very heavy for him and I'm not sure losing his wife right now would really help him with the process that he's trying to get through and immediately when I made that acknowledgement I was sucked back through this tunnel and I was in my body and this overwhelming peace that they weren't going to take me that I was going to be fine, that I was going to find my health again, was with me and stayed with me for the next four weeks, like consistently. Like I did not waver in questioning if I'd be okay. You know, it was a constant, I am, I am well, I am okay. What I would imagine too, after you experience that thing, it's like, well, even if I'm not okay, yeah, I yeah. get to go back to this awesome. Totally awesome. I get why people don't come back. <laughs> I get it. 
It makes sense. I suppose the scariest thing would have been that you stay in that in-between, that you never get better. Well, right. And that's, I think, why I was given such a peace, because um, being in that pain for much longer would have just been hell. And it's been a super challenging seven months. I've, I've been under trial, you know, going through trial and error every day. You had to l- relearn how to walk, yeah, right? Yeah, I was in complete atrophy. Jeremiah had to carry me up the stairs to our apartment when I got out of the hospital. I couldn't leave the apartment for, you know, a couple of weeks because I couldn't walk down the stairs. Um, and I just had to, again, every day had to ask for help. And, uh, I had to love myself, which was huge and still something I'm contending with every day, (laughs) uh, because I have not liked myself for most of my life and had suicidal attempts as a young girl and, um, you know, went through a lot of drugs and alcohol problems and, um, this past few years, I found some Buddhist practice that really helped me find a happier place. And I haven't had suicidal tendencies for about three years now, which is the longest I've been able to go without medications and mm-hmm. um, been able to find a better place with myself. And then ironically enough, I almost die. Like it was just really weird, weird timing. Um <coughs> And so, so now this process, I, my self-talk is a lot nicer, um, because every day, you know, I would try to take a few more steps than I took the day before. And some days I just plain couldn't, I would, I would take 72 steps on the plank. That was the most steps I took, I think on week two, after being out of the hospital, I took 72 steps on the top balcony of our apartment complex. How long were you in the hospital for? A little over two weeks. Okay. Yeah. And, but I was bedridden, you know, before that. And in the hospital, I would, I would try and walk around the floor of the hospital, but I would have my IV post and I would have usually Jeremiah's shoulder to hold on to and I would shuffle. I mean, you just... Literally baby steps. With your little knit slippers with the rubber on the bottom? Oh, yeah. I'm quite familiar with those. (laughs) Oh, no. Sorry. You're familiar with those? I'm very familiar with those. I love them, though. I do kind of like them. They are... I kind of like being in hospitals. As long as I'm not in in pain, I like being able to just collapse and be taken care of. It's a feeling I've always wanted my my whole life. There is a great thing about that. And I had a great fear about leaving the hospital because... I was worried I wouldn't have that anymore. Yeah. But there's nothing worse than being in the hospital when you feel like you're being neglected or they're they're not putting their full effort into trying oh. to do then it's like Terrifying. even 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 worse, worse. than you know. Well, I had I had a really weird situation happen. I had uh, a maid come in in the morning to do the linens. Well, the guy who worked the night before left the linens in the bathroom in a bag. She came out of the bathroom and started yelling at me. Why did you let him leave the linens in the bathroom? And I'm like, excuse me? She's like, you let him leave the linens? You need to report him. You need to get those linens in the laundry. And I was like, I, I, 
Excuse what? me? <laughs> oh, yeah. She totally ripped me a new one. And I just stopped and went, lady, I don't work here. I'm fighting for my life right now. Back off. <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> oh, she like literally snapped just out of it. snapped out of it and went, oh, 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 oh well, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go report him. Isn't it amazing how wrapped up in our own bullshit we can get sometimes that we're completely <laughs> blind to what anybody around us is going through? Oh, it's sad. It's human. It's human. And we all have our weak moments. But if you're working in a hospital with sick people, come, come on. on. Like, it was strange. I, I got really clairvoyant when I was in there after the near-death experience. I was hardcore psychic for like four weeks. Really? Yeah. I had one nurse come into the room one night and I heard, um, I was laying down, my eyes were closed and I heard this man, this older, like, like an Asian speaking uh-huh. man talking and he, just incessantly, he was just like, oh, you need to be doing this to her and that to her and you should be doing this to her and this to her. And, and, and I'm like, what? He won't shut up. So I finally sit up and I'm like, could you please stop? And no one was there. So when she came back into the room again, I had not seen her in the whole like week and a half I had been there so far. And I never saw her again after this. And I went, I'm sorry, can I ask you a question? She goes, sure. I go, is your like whole family in medicine? Because I just knew Mm -hmm. that her whole family was in medicine. She goes, yeah, that's why I'm a nurse. It's expected of us to go into this. And I went, really? Well, funny because... I heard this older man like giving you directions. She goes, yeah, that's my grandfather. He won't shut up. <laughs> I was like, okay. Like his voice is in her head. Yeah. And I was like, interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, because he was really directing you on how to do this and that. And she was like, yeah, he just doesn't stop talking. And, and she wasn't phased at all. By no, not that. at all. Meanwhile, she's like, you know, she's shooting me up with my Dilaudid and whatever. Sweet, sweet Dilaudid. Oh, sweet Dilaudid. Oh, the come down was horrific. And uh, anyway, she's, we're like nose to nose, you know? Yeah. And uh, I go, well, what do you want to do? Because you clearly don't want to be a nurse. And she goes, she looks at me, she goes, no, I don't want to be a nurse. I want to be an artist. And I go, oh, I'm an artist. She goes, you are. I went, yeah. So we talked art for a little bit. And then she goes, oh, I haven't done anything for so long. She's leaving the room and she goes, can I get you anything else? And I went, yeah, go doodle. and that was it i never saw her again which was strange because typically you saw people at least twice Mm -hmm. if not several times so it was interesting it was an interesting encounter with her and then otherwise um about 4 a.m like between 3 a.m and 4 a.m every morning i had entities visiting me working on me uh, and i mean like straight up alien visitations (laughs) like one point, I had a hard, um, like a triangle-shaped crystal, like light, come down into my torso, and these two small beings showed up, and were one was on each side of me, and I just picked my head up off the bed and looked at them, and went okay. And then laid my head back down and went, let's just say thank you. Let's just say thank you. I'm saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what do you say to the person that's listening to that and rolling their eyes and going, (laughs) oh, yeah, she's an artist, you know, go (laughs) grab your crystals and go to Sedona and, Well, 
You'll have your own experience that will wake you up one day, too. <laughs> you know, I think I, I I don't even know what to think. I think it's totally batshit crazy, too. I mean, there were things that happened that I'm like, I have no explanation for. All I can do is share it with people and say, yeah, this is what I saw. I have no idea. I don't know. All I know is that the infection went away and I'm, I get to still live in this place and be a part of this party. And I'm going to make it the best I can. Um, and you get to experience the joy of not shitting blood. Yes. Which is probably one of life's <laughs> most sublime joys. Yeah. I, it really is. I, I'm still contending with, with some of it just from the ulcers. There, you know, it's not all healed down there yet. And I'm, you know, so I'm still coping with different things. Um, but yeah, no, it, that was the trippiest visitation I had. The other ones, I had an angel, a very large, large person with wings. And I did, it wasn't like I saw them straight. It was more like a shadow, mm-hmm. like a, it was blue, light blue, uh, but like a light, it was very hard to describe. And I, I've got to sit down one of these days and really describe it for myself. Um, just to try and make sense of everything. But at the same time, I don't really care to make sense of anything. Cause I know that I know nothing <laughs> and I know and you, that, and, and you know that you experienced it and you yeah, don't have to explain it to right. anybody. Yeah, totally. That's it's, the biggest part of it really. That's is, a, I, I think that's one of the most beautiful thing about, um, deep personal spiritual experiences. And we can call it a spiritual experience oh, that you had, um, is that you don't, it's, it's like you're it's like a uh a movie made just for you yeah that is so specific to you and that you feel that you almost can't describe in words and you don't feel the need to express it because what you what you get from it is brings you so much peace that it takes the way, away the need to express it Mm-hmm. It calms for me when when I when I first got sober and I suddenly felt like I'm connected to mm-hmm. the universe. That was my that was my spiritual experience. It was I suddenly went, oh, I'm not separate from the universe. I'm a part of mm-hmm. the universe, and I can either be a cancer cell on the body, or I can be a healthy cell that helps and does its part and takes responsibility and tries to give. Um, and when I had that realization, it yeah, I kind of wanted to scream it from the from the rooftops, but I also um, felt like I don't need to. Yes, like I don't need to. Like this was yeah. like the universe finally grabbed my face in its hands and said, "I love you." Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I'm actually really here supporting you all along. Yeah. 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 And that realization of, oh, my God, yeah, I've never actually been without it. Yeah. And I've put you through this not because we have something against you or we dislike you because this is a part of your story. And maybe it's going to touch people. Maybe it's going to bring more joy and depth to your life. Yeah. We don't get to know the reason why. No, we We don't. We have our spiritual uh, experience. But yeah. It's, I wouldn't, there's nothing in my life that I would trade for having had that. And I get the feeling 
You wouldn't either, though. You don't want to go back to the pain, the physical pain that you had. Right. No, I wouldn't. I actually had a dream last night that I was applying for a job and the woman was like, and a near-death experience was on my resume. (laughs) (laughs) And the woman was like, oh, good, good. Well, you're perfect. Great. You've had that? Then great. (laughs) And I was like... (laughs) Then you can handle customer service. (laughs) And I looked at her. I was like, you're happy that I had that. She was like, yeah. And I was like, awesome. That means you actually really know what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> because it it was a huge gift. It was one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. I, I think, you know, there's something so similar to between you experiencing a physical bottom and, and an emotional bottom and people that experience an, an emotional bottom and physical bottom sometimes with um, an, an addiction. It's... Mm-hmm. It, it almost seems like the goal is to be that plane that doesn't explode into the ground, but just nicks the cornfield and yeah. pulls up at the last minute to let you know something's got to change here. Yeah. Something's got to change. Yeah. That perspective, that perspective changer. I had a friend um, from college who was a, um, a golfer and he was struggling to try to, to try to turn pro and he was on a plane one time that ran out of gas and or it was bad tank of gas or something, but all of a sudden it the engines died and it was a small uh. plane, and they started heading down into a cornfield and at the last minute somehow the pilot pulled the nose up. They still crashed, but it didn't it, it explode. Okay. And everybody got out and walked away. Whoa. And he said his putting was better after that. Because he he used to be like a nervous putter, and he said there's this thing called the yips when you're putting, where you have like a little bit of it, like a twinge, yep. and it makes you miss your putt. And he said the yips went away. Wow! And which makes total sense to me because it's like after you've lived through that, the perspective you get that this putt isn't really that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, right. Talk about you, how your perspective on the world and your place in it has changed since you oh. survived. You know, it's taken a lot of different avenues uh, in different weeks, different days, different moments. It's it's still fluc- fluxing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my first thing was, wow, I really want to go to school and get my degree in psychology. <laughs> That was my first thing. I really want to go into art therapy. I've always, it's something that I've always thought of doing since I was a little girl without knowing what that was. You know, I just Mm -hmm. saw a studio with all this art stuff. Um, So kind of putting those pieces together. um, And totally not stressing out about little things that would have bothered me before like the dishes not getting done or you know the car not being clean and just that stuff all just washes away and you realize it's really not important at all if if you can smile at your neighbor and spend time laughing with someone i'd much prefer do that than do the fucking dishes Hmm. (laughs) and sit down with a friend and say how are you really doing yeah all that connection human connection uh is so so much richer for me now um have you become more vulnerable since what you went through or were you a pretty vulnerable person i was extremely vulnerable before then 
<laughs> okay, so you didn't... Yeah, yeah that didn't change. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, I mean outwardly vulnerable, like in a healthy, expressive, yeah. able to be intimate with people emotionally. Yeah. Okay. Always been able to do that. Um, you know, I'm still processing a lot on what what is changing for me. A lot of that just has to do with I'm still in the moment of, of trying to heal my body. Um, so I guess that brings me to the most perspective that's changing is how to love myself and take care of myself physically and be tender and self-talk in a way that's not militant or fight or flight. Uh, that is patient and a kind mother that isn't a mother that is expecting something from me. That is a mother that is unconditional love. What was, what was your mom like? She was, she was tough. Yeah. She was tough. And, um, I've been coping with a lot of that through this. It's fair to say you, much of your life, you've heard her voice in your head. Mm hmm. Okay. I think that's oh, definitely. pretty par for the course for her, for most of us. Her yeah. father was a military CIA, Green Beret, a career, you know, military man. Um, so she was brought up under a very hard fist. Um, and so naturally it would take in her mothering. Um, and she did the best she could. I, I do believe that. But I've gone through a curve. Right before I got really sick, I called her and I said, I just need to let you know that you sucked as a mother. <laughs> I actually told her that. I needed to get it off my chest. Mm -hmm. And she received it like a champ. And she she really talked me through it and she apologized. Wow. She gave me a golden ticket to heal, I feel, you know. Um, she did as much as she could mm. at this stage in our life. And then she showed up for me at the hospital and she flew out here and was here with us for three weeks. Which to me is the ultimate uh, apology. The ultimate oh, yeah. amends yeah. is your actions. You sure. can say all you sure. want. I think we all have people in our lives who talk a good talk about yeah. they love us and they're sorry and stuff like that but your actions ultimately oh yeah you really want to find out where the truth is is look at people's actions absolutely and even then you know she can't change who she is yeah. and she can't take back what's already been done and what thought process is already part of me that she mm -hmm. helped build she can't change any of that only i can do that work so that's where i'm at and and I think the biggest part, you know, with somebody who is difficult, um, that we're deciding, do I want or not want to, you know, have interactions with that person, is, are they making an effort? Is there a recognition on their part, even after they've done something at dinner that drives you crazy, that you've said, <laughs> I hate when you do that, or right. that hurts my feelings when you do that. Even if there's an, a recognition the next day or right. no recognition and you bring it up and they say, oh, my God, I didn't realize I did that. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. That's, I think, all you can. All you can do. That, that That's enough yeah. sometimes for a relationship. You don't expect that person to be perfect by any means. No. But just to to be open-minded about where they might 
have hurt you or be hurting you? Sure. I think it was Deepak Chopra who says, uh, mistakes merely require correction, not punishment. Yeah. And, and that to me really sums it up. We'd all be in a lot healthier relationships if we could <laughs> practice more of that. Because you think about it, what upsets you when somebody does something that bothers you is you don't feel felt. Mm-hmm. But then when they apologize or they do something to try to correct it, you feel felt. Yes. So it's... Yeah. Respect it. Yeah. Uh, recognize they're holding space for you. Yeah. They love you. Yeah. That's... Uh, I've definitely found more patience, uh, not only because I'm finding more patience with myself and myself loving now, I have it with my husband and with my friends. I'm giving people more room to, you know, freak out, have your moment. I'm totally still going to love you afterwards. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Um, we're all just trying to do the best we can. And sometimes it's not easy to be awesome. What are some of the nice things you tell you tell yourself? Well, or the I, things that you the or the voices you've quieted in your head. Oh, wow. Well, all is well is a good one that I like to repeat over and over again. That I am taken care of. I am taking care of you. Uh you are very loved. Just even saying it once to yourself, you experience like a whole new vibration it's crazy so then trying to repeat that five times feels really amazing what about the person who doesn't feel loved and when they say it to themselves it feels false and it makes them just want to spit in the mirror what would you say to that person because i know there are people out there that are so are so self-identified with a negative voice in their head that mm-hmm. they are I've been there they they believe that that is the true voice and the you are loved you're going to be okay is just you know full a of p- shit pile of feel good new age horse shit what do you what do you say to that person well i say go into it i say go into it go into that anger and what is that anger and why? Where, where, where is it coming from? What's the root of it? And then write it down. Writing has always helped me to write it down. And then saying, I am sorry. I forgive you. I forgive myself. Be- yeah, I mean- forgive myself. Find that forgiveness for yourself. I've had to go through a lot of that with myself. In about the past who you are months. or what you've done sure, or both? Sure, both. Both. Um, identifying that, okay, yeah, so you want to be selfish this way. That's one thing that I've always conflicted with myself. Like, I never, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to look so. Well, that, so today you want to do this. Okay, you want to do this. That's okay. You can give that to yourself. Why not? Let's go have that and then only have an hour of that and then go on with whatever else you have to do. You know, it's finding... you got to be... Uh, uh, there's a good selfish and there's yeah, a bad selfish. Yeah, totally a good selfish and, and bad selfish. If you, if you don't have any of the good selfish, you got nothing to give other people and you're right. going to be wearing a mask and walking around with a lot of resentment. Yeah. I mean, everybody has their own reasons for not liking themselves. There's so many different reasons 
Mine was selfishness, you know, being... Were you told you were selfish I as a child? I was told, yeah, that I would be a burden on people, all that stuff. Um, so that's been a voice that I've had to really beat down and not get rid of because I can't... You can't get rid of these. You just have to find a relationship with them. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And so now I have more of a dialogue with the selfish and say, okay... What do you need today? What do I need to feed you today to put you in your happy place, to put you in your filled place? What will make you feel fulfilled today? Okay, you need this? I'll give you this. And then I'm going to go on with my day, okay? Is that going to be enough? Great. I'll talk to you tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So it's finding the relationship. I have had to find relationship with my anger, you know, and say, okay, yeah, you're angry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be fearful. It's okay to have all this. Don't persecute yourself for feeling. Yeah. It's okay. No, no feeling is wrong. It's just what we do with it. That Absolutely. Is healthy or unhealthy. And a lot of times it's just what people, what, you know, elders did to us when we were children to make us feel shameful of those feelings. Mm-hmm. And that's what we grew up to think, oh, I should be ashamed of that feeling. When really, in, in fact, no, darling, that feeling is perfectly acceptable and in fact needs to be expressed or else it will eat away at you and try and kill you. I'm a living example of it. <laughs> so do you think that what you, the ulcerative colitis uh, was a result of uh, bottled up emotions and stress? Yeah. Self-loathing stress for 30 years, you know, um, I mean, just not processing it, not coping with it, not having a relationship, a dialogue. And now I've been forced to have a dialogue with it. And it had to break me down to not even be able to walk because not being able to use your body just leaves you with your mind. You can't even throw a bottle. You can't even spit in the mirror. You know, it's it's so... I would take five steps one day and the next day I wouldn't be able to walk at all because I'd be in so much pain from the five steps I took the day before. I couldn't hate myself for it. I could feel the hate that I had and and understand that yes i have some anger over over this challenge but i am not the anger and i am not going to let the anger be me i am going to love the person that took the five steps perspective oh i like that that's great i never i never thought about that because we always think i can't I can't walk a hundred steps. Mm-hmm. No, we never think about. Wow, I did walk five steps. Right. It's the and that was where I have to reside all the time now because I'm constantly, and as a person, as a human being, you're always looking for what's better, perfection. If we're not perfect, we suck. No, I got here today. I've already succeeded. I. I walked up those stairs and I'm not in pain. That's amazing. Uh, I'm going to push you down them though. Yeah. Okay. That's what I do with all my guests. (laughs) I should have warned you. (laughs) Oh no. I need one of those chairs that lower. And then your picture for the website is you on the ground saying (laughs) why. (laughs) 
but yeah, perspective, you know, perspective is the biggest thing. Our minds are, you know, our biggest lover and our biggest enemy. And, um, I am, I'm, I'm choosing to be friends with the angry girl, but I'm going to love her because she also did the five steps. That's the biggest thing I can do. That's, that's so awesome. Yeah. It's, it's something I'm still learning every day because it's a new practice for me. Before I would have been thinking, oh my God, I can't walk out. Poor me. You fucking suck. You stupid girl. You know, I mean, all these other things would have just, but man, like when you, when you can be in the, the joy and the gratitude of, wow, you know, you got out of bed. Talk about any gifts that your difficult childhood gave you. Are you able to look at any of the things that have been forged in you because of your difficult childhood? Work ethic. I have a great work ethic. I work really hard. I give my 100% definitely to whatever I do Um, in my art as well as Mm -hmm. we know work in the day job. And because of that, I get employers that are really loyal to me. You know, they let, they let me be gone for months at a time and kept my position. They didn't have to do that. Um, so work ethic for sure. I mean, I started working when I was nine in a dental office cleaning dirty trays. So I was thrown into the gross of it at a young age. Um, and um, that's the probably the biggest thing. Well, you know, as I sit here and I, and I listen to you share, I think to myself, you're a really intuitive person and you're a really yes. empathic person. And I think a lot of people that were raised with a hypercritical parent hmm. are forced as children to try to figure out what people are feeling, to read a room. Oh, yeah. And to survive they need to try to intuit what's going to happen what's and well it's a search for love yeah and that oh i guess that's one of the things that i want to say to anybody out there who feels like they're cursed by their tough childhood is if those sounds so new agey and uber positive (laughs) but if those gifts haven't been revealed yet by asking for help and connecting to people the 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 hurdles you had as a child um once you learned healthy coping mechanisms those gifts will be revealed um that make your life better yeah than normal better than the average person that didn't have to go through that absolutely well i think you said something key in there which is finding the healthy habits healthy coping mechanisms first of all and then realizing that our troubled past isn't who we are right now that has been something really liberating for me in my healing uh is that literally i've had to like cut it off like with imaginary scissors and be like you know what i'm just gonna choose to cut those pages out now Hmm. and say that's another book and that book i'm not carrying it with me anymore like I just don't need to because I'm not answering to my past. I want to create a happy future. 
So how do I do that today? And just start now. It doesn't have to be grandioso plans. It just has to be today. Today, I'm going to choose to find happiness in this cup of coffee. You know, if that's it, fantastic. Because tomorrow, you'll probably find happiness in the cup of coffee and a croissant. Who knows? You know what I mean? It's like finding joy in the little things that we can give ourselves today. That that, that seed of self-love, it's just going to grow. It just is. Yeah. And I think the... the um Finding the joy in the little things can snowball into Absolutely. having an organic appreciation of the larger things. Absolutely. Yeah. Because so often we want to instantaneously fix the big things in our life and have them resolved today for us to be able to sleep soundly at night. But I think part of having a healthy emotional life is being comfortable with unresolved problems. Yeah, it really is. And it's super hard for someone like me who does not like to let go. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time letting go. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, like situations just repeat themselves in my mind and it's just this vicious cycle. And lately now in that when they start repeating like a friendship goes wrong or something and it keeps repeating, I try to think about a friendship I have now that is positive And I think about that person. Mm. And I try to think about the moment that they gave me that card that said those nice things. I try to transform you know make new pathways in my brain that are going to happy relationships instead of these negative moments that i had and the other thing i wanted to say about the troubled childhood that i've just came into um recognizing this past year i was wearing my mother and my father like they were me And I think this is something a lot of us do naturally, but you don't have to. It's not who you, who you, you, you are. Mm -hmm. And that is really liberating. If you can take them off of you like a jacket and put it in the closet, it's not that you're hiding it, but they are them and they need to do their thing. And it's, this is now time for you. And, you know, find your liberation in that. Listen to your body, because your body often yeah. tell, is the first thing to tell you what you want or don't want. Yeah. A lot of times if we were raised in a narcissistic or controlling household, we were told what was appropriate and we stopped listening to our gut. Totally stopped listening. And... You know, I I think personally I have a lot more to hear once I get through more of this process. I think in another year or so I'll probably have a lot more to express about this experience. But it is, it is like a jacket I've had to take off and mm-hmm. put away and say, okay, this is, I'm going to, I want to be me now. Well, what a great note to to end on, Sarah. Thank you so much. And um, thanks for letting me share. I hope it made some sense. (laughs) I think it absolutely, absolutely did. (laughs) Good. Thank you. You're welcome. Many, many thanks to to Sarah. And uh, since we recorded that episode, uh, Sarah has uh, gotten into the field of uh, healing uh, via meditation and. 
other modalities, and I'll put the links to her stuff because uh, she does do online stuff. Let me get into some surveys. This is an awful some moment filled out by I try, but I often get it wrong. Oh, I, I also wanted to mention that um, as I've done the last couple of years, I uh, take the, the month of July off. So I'll be re-airing episodes that uh, are among my favorites from the, the past. And uh, I'll be back the first week of, of uh, August. Awful some moment filled out by I try, but I often get it wrong. And uh, she writes, when I was in college, I decided to volunteer at a sexual assault support center because I had become interested in women's issues. I was looking for an opportunity to be of help to others in a way that I believed aligned with my values. Part of the process of becoming a volunteer involved attending a training that spanned several sessions over a few weekends. One of the early sessions, the trainers had us sit in a circle and they began by asking us to go around the circle and describe a time in our lives when we felt, quote, empowered as a woman. There was a silence for a minute or so while the trainers waited to see if anyone wanted to go first. Being the young, eager women's issues enthusiast that I was, I offered to go first. I then proceeded to describe the time I went to a party dressed in a short skirt and low-cut blouse and how powerful I felt walking around knowing that all the men desired me. When I finished my story, it was completely silent. And the trainer simply said, thank you, and moved on to the next participant. I was still feeling good about my story until each woman afterward described how they became empowered by either leaving abusive situations claiming autonomy, standing up for themselves at work, etc. As each person spoke, I found myself becoming smaller and smaller in my chair as it slowly dawned on me that I had not understood what the trainers meant by empowered. Thank you for for sharing that. And you know, I just want to say, I don't think there's any right or wrong when people talk about their feelings. Your feelings are your feelings. And you know, there is, uh, uh, a, especially I think for uh, the portion of the population that has spent a lot of their life being objectified and sexualized, how can you not unconsciously or consciously attach power to your attractiveness? And you were being honest about that. And I think if it's something that you desire to move past, um, and I'm not saying that uh, you should, uh, but you have to acknowledge that that feeling of power is there before you begin to look for an alternative that helps you feel empowered. So I, I guess what I'm saying is let go of the shame. You're, you're human. You're human. This is from the Fears survey filled out by Bipolar Rock and Roller, and he writes, I fear that I will never feel safe no matter where I go or what I do. Oh, buddy. I think so many of us relate to that. And it's that, I think for a lot of us, it's not a specific fear of feeling unsafe. Like, you know, somebody's going to stab me in the eyeball if I go to Whole Foods. But uh, it's just more of an uneasy feeling. It's like to stay put just feels so much, so much better. And, um, 
And I think a lot of people, too, you know, when a man, especially a, a, a large, physically powerful man, talks about feeling unsafe, people kind of roll their eyes like, who's going to kick his ass? But it's not necessarily always physically. It could just be that, you know, you're, you're afraid of situations where you don't feel emotionally safe, you know? You're going to feel disturbed, agitated, angry, humiliated. This is from the love survey filled out by Deep Sea Gender Creature. And they write, some cat loves. The rare moment they lose their balance and they twist and turn before they somehow land on their feet. When their fur markings look like a human face attribute, like eyebrows, a mustache, or other facial hair. My cat had a soul patch, uh, personally. When they're exploring and they get trapped in some weird crevice or corner and they're forced to scoot out backwards. Those are awesome. Thank you for those. I love when uh, my dog Gracie and I are coming in from the backyard and she goes to the door and she can't decide whether to wait for me to open the door or go through the doggy door. I also love how when you open a door, how dogs, they don't wait until there's clearly enough room to get through the door. They just cut it as close as possible. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Timid Timmy. He identifies as straight. He's in his 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. He writes, I was never comfortable to share my sometimes overwhelming feelings of sadness with anyone, friends or family. And he only partially filled this uh survey out. But I'm going to read what he did fill out. Uh, he's never been sexually abused. He's not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused. Um, but then he writes, years of bullying for being overweight. Yeah, that is clearly emotional abuse. Uh, not being, quote, black enough because I don't listen to rap on a regular basis or live in the city. Being talked to by my mother on multiple occasions for being detached and a recluse, her word, not mine, and how much it upsets her I'm not closer with my brothers. Despite her sending us all to different schools in different towns through my elementary and junior high education. Any positive experiences with abusers? If that stuff above actually counts, sure, yes, it does actually count. I always feel conflicted for thinking those things about my mother because I was always fed, got an education, and she cared about me. That is beside the point. People can be fed and, you know, uh, be encouraged and get a lot of great things from a parent and also be abused. It's not about, um, you know, a test score for them. It's about do you feel safe and heard? Does that person accept responsibility for hurting you? Uh, I feel like a bad son all the time after I try to look at it from her perspective, but fuck all the bullies and fat shamers. Darkest thoughts. Hoping that a flutter I feel in my heart will cause a heart attack and no one will be around to resuscitate me. Driving my car off an unsurvivable cliff. Buying a hose at Home Depot, hooking it up to my car and dying of carbon monoxide poisoning in a parking garage or an abandoned building. Darkest secrets, eating copious amounts of greasy food in the hopes that when I'm older I die of a heart attack. Cutting my upper 
uh, he didn't put uh, what part of the body. I think he left that out. Cutting my upper in high school and again within the past month. Not enough to cause for alarm so people notice or ask questions, but just enough to feel like I deserve the punishment and satiate the self-loathing. Slightly scratching my hand continuously while sharing in my second bi-weekly therapy session, enough to scrape off the first layer of skin. And then his his survey ends there. Oh, man, sending you some, some love. And I, and I hope you can give weight to the feelings that you're experiencing because I'm going to take a wild guess that the, the self-hatred you're experiencing is because you're putting all of the responsibility of your feelings on yourself when what you went through fucking sucks. Sending you some love, buddy. This is from the fears survey filled out by Wrong Kind of Love. And she writes, I'm afraid Paul will stop making the podcast. Every week I anxiously listen out for signs of his weariness or boredom with it and feel guilty when he sounds stressed or burnt out. And then parentheses, sorry, Paul, I love you, uh, but you had a lackluster spell these last few months where you had me worried. Uh, End of parentheses. And wishes he would take a holiday and take extra care of himself so we will never have to go without him, exclamation point. I'm angry at myself and the other listeners that we greedily push him to exhaustion and into ruin. And I wanted to read that, A, because I love talking about myself, Um, but B, because you do not push me to exhaustion and ruin. That is up to me to decide. And so um, how's this me being codependent for your codependency? We're going to create a codependency tornado that no one will escape from. Um, But thank you for your concern. Um, But I I feel like I am pretty cognizant of where my battery level is at. And and again, thank you for your your concern. Uh, She also writes, I'm afraid my boyfriend will find a hotter, younger woman to be with when we are older. We've been together for a long time and take good care of ourselves physically, but eventually he will age like a man while my charms will diminish more and more. I'm afraid he's lying to both, to us both when he says he'll be over that kind of thing by then and we have a strong enough connection to make up for it. I'm afraid he'll take a young mistress and I'll be regu- relegated to kinky cuck queen sex, which ironically is a kink of mine but I'm afraid I'll then solely have to be witness to his sex with younger, hotter women and never be the object of desire anymore just because that's what he wants, not me anymore. I'm afraid if I won't have kids that I'll regret it when I'm old. Thank you for sharing those. And uh, isn't it weird? It's Actually, it's not weird how the things that give us anxiety in real life can be the things that fuel our fan- sexual fantasies. Um, there's a book I've mentioned uh, a lot on the podcast about that very thing uh, called The Erotic Mind by uh, Jack Morin. Really, really good read. This is from the love survey filled out by Bee's Knees, and they write, I love apologizing to earthworms when I accidentally dig them up while gardening. (laughs) That is an awesome one. I love after a rain when uh, there are er earthworms on concrete you know or the driveway and 
you get to pick them up and put them back in the grass. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey. And this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Peaches. She identifies as uh, bisexual. She's in her 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, she has been the victim of a lot of uh, sexual uh, abuse. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, kind of below the radar uh, from her stepfather. Uh, and I'm going to read one portion of it. Um, when she was in high school, they took a trip together to uh, Vegas. And she writes... Um, and they were sleeping in separate rooms. Uh, I woke up to him spooning me with his hands down my pants over my underwear, but touching me inappropriately. I woke up in horror, and an immense amount of guilt came over me. I'm such a slut. I let him on. What have I done? I jumped out of bed and ran to the other bed in our room, to the bed he was supposed to sleep in. When the morning came, he never asked why I was in the bedroom that he was supposed to be sleeping in and why I was in his. Uh... Did that mean he knew what had happened and was too ashamed to bring it up? I convinced myself he was blackout drunk and had no recollection of his night in my bed. Oh, my God. How, how fucking, what a mind fuck that has to be. You know, many people who experience sexual violation that isn't taken to the limit of, you know, penetration or, you know, them having an orgasm, etc. Um, really struggle to give weight to it um, because they feel like it's it's not valid. And that is not the case. It's, was your boundary crossed? Were you objectified? Did you feel humiliated? That's, that's what matters. Uh, she has also been emotionally abused, not surprisingly, by uh, her stepfather. She writes, uh, he's a full-fledged narcissist. He would brag in detail about all the women he'd slept with before he married my mother and all the crazy partying and drugs he used to do. I was probably 14 when he started to share this information with me. As I got older and started to find interest in boys, he would find any excuse to ground me. I'd be forbidden to go out of the house, other than school, for months at a time over nothing deserving. He eventually took my bedroom door off the frame. You know, I have heard of more than a few um, people, kids, who had that happen by a narcissistic, incestuous parent. Because to do that to a kid, to deprive them of the autonomy over the, their body and the privacy it, it is a fucked up thing. It's a really fucked up thing. I wish I could remember what I did that made him feel like that was necessary. It doesn't matter. There's no excuse for somebody to do that. I used to be so curious and full of wonder, but I eventually grew numb and hardly spoke. Quiet and hiding in my bedroom became my safe haven. It was the only place I deserved to be. I'm now 28 and still struggle to leave my dark bedroom and face every day. I haven't spoken to my mom or stepdad in eight years. 
any positive experiences with the abusers. I had many great times with my stepfather. Notice how I still have yet to mention my mom. She was severely depressed and played virtually no role in my life. She was physically present, but I could sense she was completely numb inside. She willingly gave my stepfather all control. I could imagine this being like winning the lottery for a narcissist. I used to love the attention my stepdad gave me. He always told me how much prettier I was than my friends since I was in fourth grade. The only time he made me feel happy was by commenting inappropriately on my attractiveness. But 99% of the time, he had some sort of criticism. He would always make comments about how I chewed my food too loudly, I talked too much, or I slouched too much when I walked. He always bragged about how smart he was, so I made sure to ask him questions on my homework because I knew I was stroking his ego by asking him for help when I almost always knew the answer to the question I was asking. I always yearned for his approval. Daddy issues much? Question mark. Darkest thoughts. I get so turned on when my fiancé wakes me up with his hard dick against my ass as he spoons me and touching me. I'm literally disgusted with how much I want him to do this given what happened to me 10 years ago. Shouldn't that scenario terrify me? I'm so fucking scared that my subconscious wishes it was my stepdad again. What the fuck? We get this so often on the podcast, and I, I wonder sometimes if, you know, if I'm a broken record by talking about this, but that's the way that our brains process things. And people, when it comes to traumatic things from their past, they either avoid them like the plague or it becomes a turn on to them. It's pretty rare that they feel ambivalent about something that reminds me of a violation in their past. Um, Continuing with darkest thoughts, uh, massage table porn, rape, bondage, and brother taking advantage of the sister. I love being dominated in bed. Darkest secrets. I struggle with dermatillomania. I wish it were still the well-kept secret it once was. I decided to open up to my fiancé about it four years ago. He didn't react well and told me that was information I should have told him before we had a child together. That is such a fucked up thing to say. That is so uncompassionate. He knows all about my past, but somehow manages to make my disorder about how I should be more happy now that I'm away from my mom and stepdad and that he should be enough to fill the void. Boy, he is uh, not a very emotionally educated person. After telling my fiancé about my obsessive picking, my disorder has only gotten worse. I've fantasized about cheating on him ever since. I never want to let anyone inside my walls ever again. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Anything with a woman being forced to do things. The more unhappy she looks, the harder I come. I feel deeply distraught by this. Anything you'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to. I want to yell and scream at my mother for not standing up for me when I needed her to. I want to go back in time and have the balls to tell my mom and stepdad the truth when they confronted me about the, quote, accusation my grandmother made. I had confided in my grandmother about what my stepdad did in Vegas. I also want to go back in time and never tell anyone what happened. I wasn't ready for my secret to be told, and I resent my grandmother for telling them. 
I also hate myself for neither admitting nor denying the facts. I just sat there and said nothing. Yet, I know it wouldn't have mattered what answer I would have given. I always, I've always been a worthless, lying piece of shit to them. So hopefully the dead silence after I was asked, did your father touch you, was enough. My mom is still married to him. Fuck you, mom. What if anything do you wish for? I want to need, I want to not need to drink to forget. I want to be a loving mother. I want to have a desire to get out of bed in the morning and not feel obligated to. I wish I could take three, four-hour naps a day without people saying shit about it. I wish I could never hear the phrase, how are you doing, ever again. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared my past with my fiancé, but he grew up with two parents that would literally do anything for him. Too much, in my opinion. He has no idea what growing up in a dysfunctional household is like. You know, parents that uh, give their kid everything they want, that is a form of dysfunction. It's a different form of dysfunction from hypercritical parents, but that person is still growing up emotionally immature. And you are hurting kids by not giving them boundaries and consequences and... uh, yeah. Uh, and he always manages to discredit my issues. Why am I still struggling now that I'm dating him? Major eye roll. I should be whole now that he's in my life. I fear he's slightly a narcissistic. Slightly a narcissist. I just barely started talk therapy again. I dread going every Monday, but I force myself to anyway. It gets easier every work, and I. Jesus, slow the fuck down, Paul. It gets easier every week, and I hope it helps me feel good about myself someday. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel like the biggest whiner of all time. God, you are so not whining. I feel like you're minimizing the stuff that happened to you. I fear that I refuse to overcome my, quote, trauma because I'll be an empty shell of a human without it. Dysfunction is all I have, and I'm scared that I'm lying to myself when I say I want to get over it. What other reason will I have to excuse drinking two pints of whiskey every day? I think getting help for the drinking is going to be a really, really necessary, important part of your healing and and moving forward and finding the authentic you that is inside you and has always been inside you, but has been muted by growing up with abandonment and dysfunction and abuse all around you. And it sounds like it has not gotten better with your fiance. Sending you some love. Speaking of love, this is from the love survey filled out by a dude from Brazil. And he writes, I love it when in In a cold night, my cat jumps up on my bed. Then she starts to poke me to wake up and put her under the blanket. Then she goes between my legs, spins around twice, lays down, and starts to purr. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love when I'm sleeping with my girlfriend and I get to be the little spoon, even though I'm basically twice her size. I love when music music hits just right enough in the feelings and my eyes fill with water, 
and I think the human race ain't so bad after all. I love when I'm commuting and someone from your podcast gets real with the feels, like the episode with Glenn Meehan. He got me laughing and crying inside the bus. As an introvert, this was hard on me, but thank you for both of you. Ah, oh, dude. Thank you. This is from the Fears survey filled out by So Tired. And she writes, I fear that I will become my codependent mother and that I'll fuck up my kids as badly as she has. You know what is different, though, is that you probably are aware of your codependency or potential codependency. And that's, I'm going to imagine, where, where you are different from your mom. And if you do something about it, by maybe getting into therapy or joining a support group that focuses on codependency, you will most definitely not be your mom. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a gender-fluid person who refers to themselves as not real. Um, they identify as gay but living straight. They're in their 50s. They were raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. It definitely counts. Uh, they write, in my youth, my older brothers, uh, seven of them, watched me hump a pillow so I could play... Or maybe they were, were seven? I don't know. Uh, so I could play with their G.I. Joes. The laugh during, uh, I think there's a typo, they laughed during the act. I was five years old. When I was seven or so, I was showering. My brothers quietly entered the room one by one and watched my showering. I liked to sing and dance when I showered. When I was done, uh, I opened the curtains to find them all there pointing and laughing, having a good old time. I was humiliated and ashamed. Throughout my childhood, I was grabbed and groped, told highly sexual stories, and shown porn magazines starting at the age of three. I was never physically abused. Uh, been emotionally abused. Too many stories to tell. Being the youngest of eight boys, I was always blamed for everything. Told I was ugly, stupid, retard, fag, sissy, gay. Any positive experiences with abusers? Secrets are the essence of my family culture. Painting a smile on one's face was the way. Love was a word we used, but I never understood why when I felt bad all the time. You know, when somebody tells you that they love you and, and yet you have really complicated feelings about them, an important thing to do is also take into consideration their actions. Are their actions loving towards you? What is the consistency of their actions towards you? Do they listen to you if you set a boundary? Do they listen if you state what your needs are? Darkest thoughts, death. I think about it often, but I'm too big of a coward to do anything about it. I have a chronic illness that will eventually kill me. I've given up so I don't take care of myself like I should, hoping I have a heart attack or fall into a sugar coma and not survive. Darkest secrets. I'm addicted to porn. Not just any porn, but gay porn. It's my only vice and way to connect my homosexuality. I am hiding deep in the closet and at my age am afraid to come out. 
Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Simply having sex with a man. I don't have any feelings, so sharing this has no effect. I'm dead inside. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to say goodbye to my spouse and children so that maybe I can come out and live the rest of my life as a fully gay man. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could fall in love again, but only this time with a man. Have you shared these things with others? I try to come out to my family, but it is too much to accept. I quickly had to retreat to the closet and now wait for death to release me from this hell. How do you feel after writing these things down? Finding this site is a relief and does not make me feel good to just get it out. Oh, and does make me feel good to just get it out. Oh, man. I can't imagine what it is like to be in your situation. I cannot. But, you know, one thought I have is maybe... Find some kindred spirits. Find a community, if there's one near you, of support. Um, Maybe an LGBTQ support group. And you don't have to come out, but you you can go there so that you feel seen and heard. Because you deserve to feel seen and heard and to be your authentic self. Uh, and then finally this is a happy moment filled out by Gummy Bear and uh, they write she writes it's been four years since I escaped my abusive relationship I've been in therapy for years recently I opened up to my parents more about what happened in that relationship and I feel like it made our bond stronger They watched me marry that monster, but were the first ones to help me escape. We never really talk about it because it's hard for me, but we finally did. Ugh. High fucking five. People who have, people who are struck and stuck in abusive relationships or have managed to escape them are feeling you so deeply right now because they know how hard it is. A lot of people don't understand. And I wonder when you did your vows, did you say, do you take this monster? Because I bet you regretted that. Uh, But seriously, uh, just high fucking five. And I love seeing parents show up for their kids, even if they failed them earlier in life. It's never too late. Never too late to show up for your kid. Oh, man. I hope you guys have a great July. And uh, if you're out there and you're struggling, whew, there's a lot of us that know that feeling. And you are so, so, so not alone. And thanks for listening. And I will see you in August. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.